0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flor, and in this show, I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their story and the specific tactics they use to build a successful career around their skills and the work they love doing. Today, I'll be having a conversation with Karan Singh, an artist and illustrator living in Melbourne, Australia. His distinct work is a contemporary and playful combination of op art and mid century graphic design. Through restricted yet vibrant color palettes and hypnotizing patterns, he explores and exploits our perception of depth and movement. His art lives in an eclectic variety of mediums, including prints, animation, video, augmented reality, puzzles, sculpture, and clothing. Over his professional career, he has lived in a number of cities, including Tokyo, New York, Amsterdam, Malmö, Sydney, and Melbourne, where he has worked with the likes of the Oscars, NASA, Apple, Louis Vuitton, the New York Times, and Nike. I'm so happy to be kicking off a new season with one of the most interesting conversations I have had on this podcast. Karan is not only an exceptional artist, but also a person that has traveled the world and gone through tons of experiences. During the show, he shared his journey from being a self-taught artist to moving countries several times through battling cancer and finally doubling down on his goal to become an illustrator and creating an extraordinary bulk of work. Karen spoke about how pursuing authenticity and being genuine helped him create long lasting connections and attract the right opportunities in both his personal and professional life. He was really open to talk about imposter syndrome and how to overcome it and even share his own tactics to land dream assignments. It is really not so common to find a top artist that is also willing to share the nitty gritty of getting to that point in your career. But Karan did that and more in this episode. Enjoy this conversation with Karan Singh. So, hi Karan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm pretty good.
0: I am trying to stay as
1: warm as possible, um, but uh, yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to chat with you.
0: It's a pleasure to chat with you. And Karan, I don't like to let my listeners wait in, and I normally like to start with a with a pearl of wisdom from our guests. So if, you know, by scrolling through your website, any designer or illustrator or any of our listeners will agree with me when I say that you have created several dream assignments for dream clients. So I want to start with this question. How does an artist land dream assignments?
1: Uh, That's a great question. I don't know the exact science behind it. I I wish I could tell you the exact science behind it. I think um, in hindsight, I would probably say it's just out of uh, persistence um, Mm. and constantly just sharing your work and sharing it often. And, you know, there's a variety of factors, you know, being a part of a community, but also developing a, a, a visual aesthetic that people can associate with an individual mm. and um and yeah i think to be honest it was also a, a combination of timing as well where um i managed to ride a wave where my work was like trendy or popular mm. or you know it was just there was this definitely this seminal moment where um there was a lot of appeal in the in the kind of stripped back simplicity and you know pattern based work that i was doing that um yeah it just kind of managed to go from there and then I guess there is also like a bit of a domino effect where if you work with one client um you know another client almost looks at it as a validation and if it's a big enough client so like hypothetically you work with client a and client a is a very big company Hmm. client b can look at that as a precedent and say hey this person can work with a larger brand or has worked with a larger brand Um, and that almost just kind of creates this this sort of snowball effect and Hmm. um yeah i guess that's that's part of what's created the momentum in a way.
0: Yeah. Um I want to go back to something that you said that you mentioned, you know, when I when I look at your work, I can totally see what you what you are talking about. That is this simplicity, this, you know, um kind of simple shapes and lines that come together and colors, right? So and you mentioned that there was a seminal moment where people felt really compelled by this kind of imagery um, and it's still going on I think right and I wonder if this is something that you pursued um, on purpose or this is something that just happened you were more drawn, uh, drawn to um, create this kind of artwork and you know the, there was a market for it and suddenly both things met.
1: Yeah, that's a good question, because I think that for me, you know, I think I can only call it a seminal moment in hindsight. Only mm. really When I look back, I'm like, oh, actually, that was really good timing between what I was making and what became sort of in vogue, mm. uh, I guess, for lack of a better description. Um, but for me, a lot of that work came from a want to simplify. And I think I um, want to reduce my work. Mm. I think... For me, whenever I feel a bit lost or, or confused or directionless, I've just found the best thing to do is simplify it mm-hmm. and to reduce, because then you can concentrate on the few ingredients. And I think that, you know, when I first started working with pattern and, you know, these reduced color palettes that I could really focus on the composition and the color scheme and the elements within it. And um, I think prior to that, I was so focused on this 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 kind of antiquated idea of the longer you spend mm. on a piece, the better it is, or the more detailed you, that something is, the better it is, which, um, to be honest, isn't like a mentality that like was compatible with me. Mm. Like uh, I'm I <laughs> I can kind of be impatient, and you know I can't spend a long amount of time on work. So I found that I just needed to kind of create work that suited my personality mm. a little bit more and that was more a case of like, okay, well, you're impatient and you like simple colors and don't necessarily have the the, um, interest in like hyper realism and details. So um, for me, it was just all about, you know, funny, quirky ideas and conveying them in really bold and simple ways. And, Mm. um, you know, going back to your question about the seminal moment of that, you know, that cross section between it getting picked up and me making it, it was more, at kind of the seminal part of that moment was that I had started making the work that reflected me the most, mm. um, and that's what felt seminal about it. It's that I wasn't trying to pretend to you know, mimic some of my heroes as much, it was more that I had tried to represent myself and my personality in a visual style, and I think that's sort of where um, things started to pick up.
0: Hmm. That's interesting because you know one would say that the more I work, the the more I put effort into creating my art or my artwork, you know, the more value it has, right? And in, in your case, it was sort of the opposite when you started simplifying the kind of work you were doing and perhaps even spending less time at creating each one of the artworks. Uh, your well, yes, yeah,
1: I would say that that's like too, it's two it's twofold because it meant I could make more work. Mm-hmm. It meant that like I would finish work quickly, yeah. but it didn't, it didn't mean that I would make less, if anything, I made much more work back then mm. because I, I think I just got addicted to both the process and then also the satisfaction of completing something. So, um, yeah, to a certain degree, it was like, instead of spending, you know, three weeks on one piece, I would spend three weeks on 30 pieces great, and yeah. they would be much simpler. Mm. Um, but I would get, I would also, I think this, is the other thing is like drawing a line under a piece or a p- image or whatever is, is really good because it, it, it adds a conclusion or a finality to a piece It allows you to say, okay, that's done. Mm. I move on. What did I learn from that experience? Mm. And what can I, how can I iterate? How can I make it better in the next one? And I think by adapting to that style of working, it really just helped me, um, I guess just be um yeah, just develop the style a bit quicker rather than obsess over the, the kind of minutiae involved there.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of defining or finding your style through putting having a lot of output, right? And kind of finishing up pieces so that you can learn from that and move on to the next one and do it better, right? So I want to move yeah. on to like how do you perhaps you can you can recall a story of how did you gain some of those clients or how did you got some of those stream assignments that you can see on your website and you can you can pick up on any of those <laughs> but um i just want, i just i'm curious about the the background like the the backstage of that how did you get from you know getting that assignment to sitting on the, at your desk drawing in your computer and kind of
1: yeah that's a great question again i think um Again, I think it's definitely a snowball effect Mm. because, um, you know, I, I returned to freelance, I would say, so I had like two phases of freelance. One was not very successful at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, kind of after working at a, at a kind of agency, um, that it kind of my, my understanding of work became better. And I guess I had a bit more of a visual style by then that, I was a bit more prepared to go to freelance. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, that second phase of freelance is definitely where the, you know, the balance definitely reached a tipping point where my freelance started to interfere with my studio job and I realized, okay, well, this is a good place to be Mm -hmm. in. Um, I can safely kind of make that jump between those two worlds. Um, but there were definitely um projects that came along during that period that said, Hey, maybe this could happen. So um it was a really, really simple I wanna say really simple, but I'm not trying to play it down. It was for Adobe, but it was like a it was a really cool project for a campaign they were doing a really long time ago. And um I I I still wish I knew how they found me, but I think that was like deep in my phase of like reduction and working with cotton. Mm. And I, and I, I would speculate that maybe it was also in the early days of Instagram. Mm. So I was, I had started posting my work on Instagram. Um, it's funny because I used to be like such an Instagram purist I'm like no only post photos on Instagram <laughs> and then eventually I was like screw it I'm just going to start posting images uh, illustrations on Instagram and I think I was also there at a, at a point where um, you know it was still a relatively new medium mm. platform that illustrators weren't necessarily on as much mm. and I think you know, a couple of things happened at that time. I was sharing my work on Behance quite a lot. Mm. I was sharing my work on Instagram quite a lot. And Instagram was also trying to facilitate, you know, a creative community. So I I remember getting featured by Instagram Mm. and that sort of boosted my followers up. And, um, I got a lot of followers back in 2000 and I want to say 15 or whatever, Mm. 14. Um, and I think also at the same time I'd started working with gifts. So, I was posting on Tumblr a lot and I got featured on Tumblr as well on their radar, which is like, you know, that, that thing that everybody sees. And so it was just, again, this idea of, I guess I was making, my output was really high Mm. and I was sharing my work often and I was sharing it on a variety of mediums. So, you know, I could, I would maybe predict that probably Behance is where Adobe, you know, found my work and Mm. then, uh, through Adobe then it was like another project for asics and then um, I think yeah the kind of precursor is is definitely that one of the Adobe projects mm. where you know then it got featured on the hands and then um, there was another project which was for sagmeister and Walsh mm. which um, really kind of brought my pattern work into the foray and exposed everyone to this or, or rather it brought that work to a broader audience mm. and um, and then, yeah, it just sort of started ballooning even more as I just continually, uh, like, perpetually shared my work on as many mediums and platforms as possible and interacted with people as well, mm. tried to kind of, you know, people whose work I admired, I used to tell them I liked their work yeah. and just build kind of friendships as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, sort of haven't really answered your question in so yeah, many ways, I, but think I think it's it's a... It's a weird kind of thing to pinpoint, but yeah. you know, even I, but even to this day, like, you know, I got to do the Academy Awards last year, mm. um, which is which was unreal for me because uh, somehow every year I still, you know, I get an amazing project in, and I'll be like, oh, this is it, I'm done, you know, I'm over, like I've reached everything, like so for for me, you know, at the point where I got the first job for Adobe, I was like, mm. oh, dream come true. And then, you know, Sagmeister and Walsh will, you know, this amazingly famous studio. And I was like, oh, this is it. And then, um, you know, you just keep going up this ladder. And then, you know, I got the Oscars email. And I was, uh, I have this little subfolder in my, um, in my emails, which is just called, like, all-time favorite emails. And I, <laughs> and I think that's, I keep that. And I just kind of log the, like, really special ones where, you know, people who are really nice to you or, Um, or you know just you want to kind of capture a specific email and yeah definitely the oscars one was like one that went straight in there where they were like hey do you want to like work with us and i was like oh god i don't really know how i can go much i don't know where this could go from here but um yeah it's just snowballed
0: i love it now i'm very curious to see this uh, all-time favorite emails folder (laughs) yeah
1: uh, a mix of like random things yeah
0: so i want to go back actually i want to go to the roots and speak a little bit about you know i i'm definitely gonna um circle back to your experience as a freelancer and this first attempt not successful attempt to to freelance but first i want to go to the roots and kind of ask you how was your life growing up and how 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 does your family look like yeah
1: um so i have uh yeah, I have an older brother and my, my parents and my brother and I um used to live in the Middle East in a country called Oman and we moved to Australia when I was about ten. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just I sent essentially just a uh, you know, immigrant kid who was just trying to fit in. Um I wasn't really good at school, I wouldn't say I was great at school. I like liked Things I like drawing, but I was terrible at it, and I just didn't have the patience for it. And but was like still really jealous of people who could draw. I just couldn't be bothered to actually sit down and draw myself. Um, I think that's probably just called like laziness, or um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I think I got like into computers in high school mm. and realized I could draw on a computer and you know, it was just like, I just kind of got hooked from there and everything about a computer and drawing became really addictive. And, um, you know, my family doesn't necessarily come from an arts background, but, you know, my mom has a real passion for art and my dad is like a, he's a bit of a, like a handyman. So mm. he's like really, he likes working with his hands. Mm. So I want to say it was like a, I want to say it was a combination of, of them. I feel like that's a good diplomatic way of saying it without either of them trying to take all the credit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so there aren't really any artists in my family. So I guess it was a completely foreign concept. Um, but you know, they always appreciated that I was just interested and, mm. um, you know, at first were confused by it. Um, but then eventually realized that oh, there's jobs for this, you know, mm. I mean, Uh, so, so yeah, when I went off to university, I think they were, I think they were more just happy that I I went to university and (laughs) was doing something. And as long as he's out of the house, exactly, he's out of the house, he's feeding himself. That's great. What more could you ask for? So, so yeah, it's a, it's very kind of very, to be honest, very middle class (laughs) upbringing where. Not a whole lot of exciting things, uh, well, exciting, interesting things happened, but uh, yeah, it was more just sort of discovering the computer and mm. building friends online, building, like I had a lot of digi- like online friends who, um, you know, are still friends of mine now, who we were all just in high school, like little computer nerds at home, making pictures and sharing them with each other and giving each other critique, and that's really where a lot of this started.
0: And was there any resistance from your family when you decided to go down the road of um, creativity and design mm.
1: no not at all okay. uh, I was really lucky because I guess you know the tr- the kind of cliche uh, Indian family thing is that uh, they want you to be a doctor or a lawyer but I didn't encounter any of that <sighs> at all I think they mm. I think they you know I think they my parents probably had their own kind of experiences and maybe resistance with their parents I feel like every child does with their parents uh, over some issues and mm. so you know when it came to uh me choosing a vocation it was just uh you know they were like as long as you're happy doing whatever you're doing and yeah. um and yeah i think yeah as long as i put a roof over my head and pay the bills that's <laughs> you know and obviously wasn't breaking any laws that's fine you know um so so yeah no thankfully i, I really didn't i think i to be honest i think um more of the, I wouldn't say resistance, but more of the like uncertainty came mm. from um, being, you know, self taught, mm. you know, because the degree that I did was not a graphic design degree or not like a classical illustration or art degree. It was more of like a computer science degree. And I think that it, it was definitely like a, you know, this institution of schooling was definitely something that, um, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel confident enough to feel like I could have a career Mm -hmm. in this because I was self-taught. And I think there were a couple of other factors, you know, like um, all my work's digital. So, you know, definitely much more at that time, um, you know, this idea of being a digital illustrator Mm -hmm. was, you know, definitely had these connotations of cheating or, you know, are you cheating using a computer? So Mm. I think if anything, that established more kind of you know imposter syndrome and anxiety than uh, than anything else
0: that's interesting because i i i'm in touch a lot with other artists and creatives and i work a lot with designers um but there's often this question of those that are self-thought that they experience the same that you seem to have experienced and i wonder when Mm. when did you feel that you got you got over it like you (laughs) you Definitely started believing Last that you week, could maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
1: Are you are you classically are you classically trained in, in art in and in design? I am. I am trained. Okay. I'm a graphic
0: designer, yes. And Okay, cool. Yes.
1: But I still I imagine to a certain degree every designer has a self uh, like a, in some sense of imposter syndrome. Um I think to to a to a large degree, especially because the work that we do is so is so sort of like personal, mm. um, and and I think that because you're reflecting yourself in such a in such a way that yeah you're almost like a little vulnerable because of the work that you're putting down. You're like this is the extent of my abilities, and I'm showcasing it to the world. Mm. Um, so I think that um, I've just gotten better, and maybe this is the same for you. I've just gotten better, you know, sort of dialing that voice back. Yeah. It's still there. Um, and you know, I often say, you know, even to my wife, who is my 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 quality control <laughs> manager and uh, <laughs> you know shrink, and or, you know, I'm like, you know, I I often say, I'm like, you know, if it wasn't this kind of weird combination of anxiety and uh, persistence that I, I think I would have given up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I think there is a, it's a healthy balance there. It's 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 all about. How you channel it. So um, yeah, I think as I've grown, it's just become a bit more of a managed Hmm. anxiety, healthy anxiety. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's such a thing. I just coined that, but uh, yeah, just you know, found a way to to tone it down.
0: Yes, in in a way, uh, it sounds more like a call that even if there this this imposter syndrome is there and this fear is there, it doesn't stop you from just going for it right so and you exactly keep on trying anyways because yeah yeah
1: i i don't know the, yeah i think that's the other thing is the is the like you keep on trying it's like i don't know what the i don't know where the addiction to it mm. comes from or the mm. maybe it's just the you know the the joy of making it yeah and the, again the satisfaction of finishing it and then you just want to do it again and again and yeah i don't know because the thing is it's not like a sport you know it's not like a mm. game where we're competing against um, other, you know, it's not like we're, you know, playing a sport and you have to beat a, another designer at a specific sport or something like yeah. that. It's it's actually a, a game against yourself, you know? It's yeah. a, it's a, you're trying to just excel yourself.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to ask you a little bit about what came after because you, you went through this process of going to a university, um, getting a degree, kind of... Um, being self-taught in illustration, um, and I wonder what came after when you left the university. You had this—this this is where the phase where you had this first failed attempt to freelance, or
1: sort of. I—I um, I was so I did my last year as an exchange student. Mm. I was living in Sweden, mm. and uh, that's where I met my my wife. Mm. Um, and uh, so we met, and then I like we're both Australian, and I moved back to Australia and. I'm from Sydney, you know, she was closer to Melbourne, so I moved out to Melbourne. Um, and, uh, and I was trying to just get a job, uh, mm. basically. Mm. And so I had this degree, which I had finished, which was more to do with, like, coding and had some, like, design experience, but most of my work was, you know, self-taught illustration, and I was trying to get a job. And, were you, sorry, uh,
0: were, were you trying to get a job in illustration, or you were still, like hiding I was behind like the for a job a job i, okay. was, looking,
1: I was looking for job. i think yeah in, i because this is the other thing is like you know i at, you know at the time i don't believe there were any dedicated illustration agencies or studios in australia mm. um you know the few that i knew of were all abroad you know mm. um thinking of you know I love dust and vault 49 and, uh, and, uh, all these other places that, uh, that were nowhere near me. And I was like, ah, maybe I could go there. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to hire you. And also illustration. Yeah. was definitely my love, but I thought it was more realistic that maybe I would get a job in graphic design, Mm. even though I wasn't a qualified graphic designer. So I got, you know, knocked back quite a lot because i was competing with graduates from graphic design and you know i had a hand drawn business card which (laughs) looked ridiculous um but somehow uh there's there was this uh amazing kind of creative agency at the time who was just doing like motion and Mm. and illustration and graphic design and 3d modeling and like they did, they were just very multidisciplinary, and I think they were very unique at the time. What's their name? Uh, they, were, they were called Cube Construct. Cube Construct. Uh, Cube Construct. Cube Construct. Mm. Um, and that was my first job, and it was honestly one of the coolest studios in Australia. And next minute, I'm working there, and I was like, "Are you guys sure? This is <laughs> that I'm the." Um, but yeah, that was awesome. I I. Um, you know, I got to work in an office and I got to get feedback from a creative director and I was in the same room because all my feedback was always just online with these, you know, friends who I had, uh, who I'd never met. <laughs> and, and now I'm in, you know, it was a very small studio. It was like eight of us in the studio. And, you know, I was working with, yeah, like I said, a creative, di- creative director and art director mm. and was accounts managers and understanding, you know, just this whole new understanding of how a project works and, budgets and hours and allocated time and how to deal with feedback Mm. and discussing how to present work to a client, you know, all these things that I hadn't ever thought about or hadn't ever considered were part of this whole, you know, commercial world. And uh, That's a school
0: in itself, right?
1: Yeah, I learned more (laughs) in the first, you know, three months than than I ever did anywhere else. I think it was just, you know, uh, and that's why, you know, I have this mixed kind of feeling, especially like when it comes to schooling and graphic design, because mm. I'm like, in hindsight, I I didn't make, it, didn't make it. Like, obviously, you know, there are things that graphic design school probably would have taught me that, mm. you know, it would have been nicer to learn that earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, learning it on the job is always the most satisfying and enjoyable process.
0: And what came after that job? Were you um, already ready to go freelance and make it, you know, t- try to make it as an illustrator or, you know, how was the process?
1: Yeah. No. Uh, so when I, so I had only been at that job for about 18 months and I got really sick. Mm. So I, I, I got, I was diagnosed with cancer mm. when I was like 20, wow. 21. Wow. And so basically I had to quit the job and move back up to Sydney and, you know, your, well, my whole life basically changed mm. altogether and moved moved back in with my parents and started having, you know, treatment and mm. basically did that for about a year of my life. And I basically completely reset, you know, I started, you know, in the, in the time that I hadn't in the time that I had that job, obviously I was so focused on learning how to be a good employee, but I'd stopped illustrating and that was really my favorite thing to do. yeah And, um, so yeah, I, I got better, thankfully, and you know I I'm fine, I'm clear, and uh, you know moved back to Melbourne. But um, this is my this was my first attempt mm. at you know maybe I should just focus on illustration because mm. this is the thing that makes me the happiest, and um, you know it was really difficult. It was you know because nobody knew who I was, and I'd also just taken this year off, and mm. um, and I don't know what it was. I think you know. But to a degree, illustration and commissions for illustration in Australia, um, at least from my experience, were still very much in their infancy. Mm. I feel like it was around that time that one of the first illustration agencies in Australia was set up. Uh, Jackie Winter, who I am still with to this day, you know, they were my first agent who took me on as like a as like a junior illustrator, an upcoming illustrator in this like very small division. Mm. But generally speaking, you know, there wasn't much of a market, and you know, I didn't have any contacts abroad. You know, this is before Instagram or or Twitter or even YouTube. I know probably YouTube was around, (laughs) Um, but you know, all these things didn't exist, and you know, I was still probably, and I think from there I was like, you know, oh, I've got a lot of time on my hands, so I Mm. started a daily project. Um, You know, obviously, uh, Jessica Hish was super popular and obviously still is but that was like her main uh her, her kind of rise to prominence was through the the daily drop caps and um and I think you know the day everybody just started doing daily projects and I was like screw it I'll do a daily project <laughs> and I think it was it was around that time that I had that kind of epiphany of making work that was more simple and reflected me and so I created a daily project which was called the daily quickies mm. which was uh you know i set myself an hour a day um to make uh, an illustration it was just like a line work illustration one color but they were always about the idea and so they were often like quite punny illustrations um and i think the idea was to stress test my um conceptual abilities mm. and just try and think of think less about the technical side of things and like how pretty can we make this but what is what is the image actually saying yeah and, and um you know it was often metaphors and sometimes i wouldn't have any ideas i'd just like draw <laughs> something random like a shoe or a car um but um, it was a really rewarding project because um you know that self-initiated project got me noticed or you know i, I actually applied um at vault 49 which is this illustration studio uh, in new york mm. and I, would, I think I'd been through like a couple of interviews and then started showing them this self-initiated project and they were like that that, that was the tipping point mm. because you know you showed us that uh, more than just a technical ability is that you could think of ideas and think of so many ideas uh, on a daily basis you know you coming up with a single idea and executing it. Mm. And I think especially for any agency that's an appealing idea that a designer can come up with an idea because constantly you're doing pitches and, 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 you know, concepting and, and you want to come up with as many different options, uh, as an answer to a brief and, you know, to my creative director's credit, you know, he really saw the potential because again, at that time, I still didn't truly fully grasp the commercial viability of something like that. I think that was still something that I wouldn't grasp properly until I worked at vault
0: yeah you know what i what i hear from all the things you have been telling so far that it seems that the closer you go to the things you really want to do uh you know when you were speaking about um kind of dialing down your work into something more simple because it has a lot more to do with you and how that led to a lot of opportunities and clients and and projects that were really aligned with with what you wanted to do and it seems that in the moment you started also focusing on the kind of work you wanted to do back then when you started doing more illustration, you, it really got you closer to the opportunities you wanted to get, right? So um, yeah. it seems that there's something really, like there's something to learn there in terms of like, hey, you know, like getting closer to what you want to do and the things that, um, that you're driven to um, also bring opportunities your way, right?
1: For sure. I think, I think you know, In hindsight, the thing that I've learned from this experience is that authenticity is Mm. sort of hard to fabricate, you know, it's something so hard to mimic, um, and it just comes through when you're doing projects that you definitely are invested in and definitely feel really connected to. So, and I think that people are, you know, people are really smart and, you know, they're pretty, um, they're pretty, you know, um. Receptive to things that, that, that are like that and you know they can tell the difference.
0: Yeah, I want to go back shortly to um, to your time where you got really sick. Was this a time mm. where you where you were able to produce work or you had this space? Um, of course you were very busy getting better yourself, right uh, and recovering, but was that a mm. period where you had so I have two questions. But was that a period where you found um, that you could create more work? Um, and second, was that also like a wake up call in terms of like, hey, I have this space to think about what you want, what I want to do, in which direction I want to go?
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I think um, I often liken it now, like obviously we've all just been through the pandemic and it's and it's I feel like a lot of people have had this same epiphany, mm. Um so I feel grateful to have had this sort of early epiphany um, when, you know, like I said, I was 21. So I had, hadn't even really started my career. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was really interesting because to be honest, yeah, as much as I was like focusing on getting better, it was also really a boring time mm-hmm. because you're just kind of sitting around eating, just <laughs> yeah. having medication, going to chemo not having chemo and then, you know, so I had, I had a lot, I had a lot of free time. So mm. yeah, i made, I made a lot of work, but to be honest, the, the initial part of that was definitely just getting back into illustration, but it wasn't until I think I want to say halfway through that, or maybe later on in that period where I started the freelance, where I was like, um, you know, you've just been through all this and you're still making work that sort of reflects other people. Mm um, maybe reflect work that kind of represents you more. So yeah, it was, it was good. It was good to do that kind of almost that, that groundwork. So yeah, in a way it was like a, a weird vacation. I, it's good, quite, it's quite morbid and dark, but I often say it's like one of the best things to, to happen to me. <laughs> My parents don't really like when I say that, but, uh, for me and, Uh, For me, I think personally, yeah, it was a huge, huge change in my life.
0: I want to um, touch on what you just mentioned, which is when you started freelancing, you mentioned that when you really went deep into illustration was when you actually um, went solo. So tell me a little bit about those first months um, freelancing and what what was the decision making behind? What were the, you know, the last month at a job? kind of being ready. or oh, do you or
1: mean like phase two? Like the second phase of illustration? Ah, okay. okay. So so
0: there was this phase one, phase one. And, and then yeah, you, phase one. You, you, you felt that it, it really didn't pick up and then you moved to New York to work in this uh, studio. Remind me the name yeah. is uh, Vault, Vault 49. 49. And after yeah. that is when you went freelancing, right?
1: Yeah, so I started freelancing after that. And uh, yeah, so... <laughs> We we decided, we, I say we, because um, my wife and I, when we were living in New York, um, you know,
0: we, so we had also been in New York. By the way, employed. heads up for yes. your wife for going everywhere <laughs> with you because you believed in uh, Tokyo and, and Sweden and Australia and then back to New York and then back to Australia. is like amazing,
1: really. Yeah, so she's... Um, she is definitely like the real MVP here. I feel like should be inter- interviewing here her, but I mean, you know, when, when uh, it's really, it's really, you know, I don't know, serendipitous, I mm. would say, because we, when, when I got the offer to, you know, to move to New York, mm. uh, the company she was working at here in Australia. So she's also, her name's Ash. Uh, she's also, um, a creative. So she, mm. she started, um, her career as a print designer and then went into digital. So we sort of exchanged careers because she would probably have been better off studying what I studied and I would have been better off well, doing a degree remotely related to what I do for, for a living. Um, but so at the time when I got offered my job in New York, she got offered a job for their office in New York mm. because they were, they were also opening an office. So mm. yeah, I didn't realize how, you know, it's unheard of that, you know, two people in a couple move to New York at the same time, people usually have to stagger it and one person goes first and the yeah. second one has to find a job, but we moved to New York together. So that was, you know, unreal that, you know, sh- that, that she was able to accomplish that at the same time. Mm. And, you know, she also accomplished a lot of amazing things there, but, you know, after four years there and, you know, she was ready for a new challenge and I was ready for a new challenge so we decided, okay, well, let's leave New York. Mm. Um, and it was a perfect point for me, obviously, cause then I wouldn't have a job so I could go back to freelance. Yeah. Um, and we decided to move to Tokyo, um, because she, she loves Japan and obviously who can, I love Japan too, but she, um, had always really wanted to do a, a, a language, te- a English language teaching course there. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, we up and left New York and moved to Tokyo um, and didn't know anybody and didn't speak the language and, uh, you know, I didn't have any clients uh, and, um, you know, she just had a, a high school which she would be teaching at, you know, five days a week and um, and that was it. You know, so she went from essentially being, you know, a creative director at a agency to being an English high school teacher. Um, <laughs> In the space of a couple of weeks, so it was a, it was a pretty surreal um experience for the both of us, mm. where you know we transplanted our lives so dramatically. Mm.
0: Um, and together and, with uh, that, you decided to go freelance for a second time, or give it a second opportunity to. Well, that? I didn't
1: have it. I didn't have a chance. Mm. Uh, I didn't have an op- I didn't. I didn't have an option. Well, yeah. I did. I think you know. You know, part of what motivated me is that we we were like, okay, we're ready to do this. I'm ready to take the plunge into freelance. I'm mm. really. Excited about this, and I think you know, at the top of our call, I was talking about, you know, the my freelance work had started to pick up and mm. was starting to interfere with my my studio work, mm. you know, and I felt like you know the the balance had sort of tipped, and I felt confident enough that, firstly, I had done a couple of things to prepare for it. I had, you know, the rule that I was always told is try and save up three months of salary. Mm income to make sure that you know to account for the quiet months and I had gone above and beyond and done six months because I really wasn't sure and obviously I was moving to a new country Um, and so yeah I I had just started freelancing there and again went into you know hyper promotion mode where I was like sending Mm. or making lots of work and sending emails and you know for the first few months it felt like a horrible mistake because I was getting emails from New York based ad agencies that I really wanted to work for. And mm. they were like, hey, um, you know, can you come in for a meeting mm. um, for a project? And I'm like, oh, I don't live there anymore. And I would never hear from them again because that's just, you know, this is obviously you know, pre-COVID where, you know. Remote, remote cool was with, not
0: so common, right?
1: Remote's not, remote's not sexy. Yeah. Uh, remote <laughs> so they wanted you there. But yeah. eventually, you know, I started to get... Um, work in and we started to get consistent and um in a weird way me being in tokyo was actually quite hip and exotic mm. in the same way yeah. that i was in new york and you know i didn't really factor that in but you know it became a really cool place for me to be and there was a really creative community and um yeah again just snowballed and got to do some really cool projects while i was there
0: so before we move on to another topic, I want to ask you, like you were, you mentioned that you were doing client outreach during that time, right? So, and I think that's so great to mention because oftentimes we we feel that although this is important as well to put your work out there and you mentioned before that, you know, you were consistently putting work out there on Instagram on different platforms. And this is one of the reasons that you feel that, um, you know, this is one of the things that called the attention of clients like adobe and later on snowballed into other other opportunities right but i want to ask you how was how was the process of of doing client outreach as an artist
1: yeah it's uh it's not sexy to Mm. be honest it's and i don't think it's intended to be you know your your cold calling you know Mm. your you're sending emails into the ether with the hope that you hear something back or, you know, at the time Instagram was a thing. So I was, you know, DMing brands who I really liked or agencies. And I was like, Hey, you know, mm. really like your work. I think it'd be really fun to collaborate together. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think it was a, a bunch of other things like, you know, get having a reason to contact them. Like I've just updated, I've just set up a new website, mm. you know, come check it out and check out my work or, or, you know have an excuse to go in and visit a, a, an agency in person to say hey I have I've made some new work or I've just done a new project can I talk you through how I did it or something like that um, to be honest you know it's very hit and miss and I think it's really easy to get um, yeah really down about it because mm. more often than like an email is so easy to ignore mm. and I think you just sort of have to be persistent with it um, you know for me Um, there were a couple of people who I specifically target, especially like editorial-based clients, Mm. because um, just from like a volume-based approach, you know, editorial work, you know, there's a lot more editorial work that needs to be done as opposed to larger campaigns. Mm. And so if I target editorial clients, then I'm more likely to get consistent work. And if I make a good impression, and if I work really efficiently and come up with cool ideas, and they'll come back to me. Um, frequently enough and then if the work is good maybe they'll share it on their account and and this is the other thing like you know there's the thing about like art directors and creative directors Mm. is 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 they're the ones who need to see your work and more often than not art directors follow other art directors in the same way that illustrators follow other illustrators Mm. and so this is sort of the kind of how the sausage is made is like once you work with one art director that they're like or they either you know they share it on their feed and someone else sees it or you know uh, a magazine shares your work and it's being followed by a creative director from another magazine who's like oh I want to work with that yeah I want to work with that illustrator or you know a creative director might go from one ad- one publication to another and they're like hey I'm here now and so yeah. now you've got a new client so um, it's just out of constantly it's just about making connections mm. because to be honest, um, I think that's half that's half the job. Yeah. Is is especially in commercial illustration, you know, fine art is a completely different beast, but commercial illustration is all about connections. Um and, and keep and keeping in touch with people and sharing your work often.
0: Absolutely, and I, I feel I, I'm so glad that you brought it up because um, you know, part of that of that snowball effect of Art directors sharing your work and having other art director friends that come after you know they assign you with new projects there's this first step that is you going after opportunities and not staying still just waiting for them to come your way and kind of making those exactly. connections and I feel that you know oftentimes I get this question of like okay I'm an introvert which because many of us artists <laughs> fall fall in the category I'm an introvert. yes and <laughs> and I think it's so great what you just mentioned because um, I think it's a lot about and I, this is also something I say often that it's a lot about making those connections and, you know, connecting with some someone doesn't necessarily require of you talking like a parrot and, um, and just saying great things about yourself. Sometimes it's about a lot more about listening and kind of being able to be present in a conversation and creating a real connection where the person will remind you because you were so kind yeah. and so nice to talk to that
1: I couldn't agree with that more. I think if the conversation is genuine and you're not trying to get something mm. out of it, it's just like you're you're just trying to build a connection with someone else with no expectation of some service or goods that are exchanged or there's there's no ulterior motives. you're just trying to connect with people, and that's what I mean you know when I say that like you know one of my one of my earliest kind of mentors told me that. You know, if you see someone's work, you should message them and just tell them that you like it, because and that's and it, that's it. Like it does. There's not. There's nothing. It's free. Like what's Hello. the what do you, what's the worst thing that could happen? They tell you to go away. And even so, who would do that? You know, everybody likes a little, a little feel good like uh, compliment. Uh, especially because you know we definitely live in an environment where we don't necessarily get to do that. You know, people can be. Especially where, as we're introverts, you mm. know, sending an email is easier. You know, <laughs> or sending a message is easier. Um, so yeah, I hundred percent agree that uh, it's all about real. Uh, I don't know it sounds really cliche, but like real connections, totally connections without without a without a without the intent of like trying to get some gain out of it. Um, yeah, those are the most those are the most rewarding ones to be
0: honest. Yeah. And I think it also goes back to what you were talking about uh, throughout the entire episode. That is, you know, going back to authenticity and kind of seeing, tapping into what is real for you. What is the kind of work you want to do and approaching people in, in a genuine way, as you said, and, this is what really helps you create connections, like personal connections, but also like commercial connections and attract the clients you want to work with and kind of get those yeah. dream assignments, right?
1: That's so true. I think to be honest, most people just wanna make wanna wanna make nice work and mm. wanna work with like chill people, like relaxed people. Oh, yeah. Similar to them, I think yeah, no one yeah, I think just yeah, just just be nice and be friendly. And, and you know, I think those are the most fun projects are the most laid back ones, right?
0: I love that. Um, so we are wrapping up the episode now and I want to ask you, what are the things and attitudes that you feel that had a leverage for you as an artist and had a mm. big impact on your success? Because I, I can imagine that those listening right now and uh, our listeners are certainly... Um, scrolling through your website and checking out your work and um, and I really want to ask you what were, what were the things if you could name one or two that you feel have um, a great impact in your career
1: yeah I would just say travel to be honest mm. is the biggest most important thing for me um, you know obviously I've had the privilege of traveling and living in different places um, but To be honest, getting out of your comfort zone and being around other people gives you um, so much more appreciation for different people. And I think as designers, artists, we should be so aware of that, you know, because we're so in tune with the kind of subtleties and nuances of life. And um, yeah, that empathy that Mm. you build from travel and appreciating... Other cultures, other habits, other day-to-day lives, um, just makes you, uh, I don't know, just appreciate the world in a, in a different way, and and again, that that, to be honest, it's built my own personality, which for me makes it easy for me to just talk to people. I feel like I'm, mm. I'm an introvert, but I don't feel uncomfortable talking to people because after experiencing like travel, I just feel like most people just want the same things. Most people just want to be happy and safe and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think, and I think that's, that's been the, the, the kind of most helpful thing, um, is, is, uh, it's also helped me build, build a bit more confidence because, um, then I feel like my voice is, um, you know, I shouldn't feel self-conscious about my voice as Mm. much because um, everybody also feels the same as you. You know, we all kind of collectively feel some of the things that maybe we're not as proud to talk about or feel shy about talking about, but everybody feels them. So it's given me a lot more confidence to create the work that I want to create without feeling shy or exposed. Um, It feels, I feel a lot more safe and comfortable in being vulnerable and Mm. being honest, you know, from my experiences of travel, because uh, we all are, you know, I think it's just whether we decide if we want to talk about it or not.
0: I love that message to wrap up the episode. And before we say goodbye, I want to—I always like to play a game with my guests, uh, just to it. end in a high note. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so the game is called like finish the sentence. So basically, I start the okay. sentence, and you have to complete it. Right? So okay. I'm gonna start. Let's do it. I'm proud of myself because
1: uh, I can pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm proud because I, I managed to, to do this. I think, you know, for me, this was always uh, a dream. And uh, actually, you know, I saw like a couple of episodes ago, you had Alex Trichot on mm. on here and, you know, know, he's one of the people who I looked up to for such a long time. And, uh, yeah, I'm so, uh, so honored that I get to do this as a job, you know, for a living. And, you know, uh, and that I'm, you know, uh, sharing a similar platform and getting to talk about it, even though, you know, he's like a god. So... Um, yeah i feel I feel really fortunate I, that's that's why I'm proud Sorry, that was a long answer I don't know if, i don't know if you i don't know if there's points in this game
0: <laughs> you should you should you should be proud for sure um so the second is the best part of being five was
1: oh just napping
0: <laughs> yes just napping. oh my god I continue napping i <laughs> I do nap on the I mean, week, I do. On weekends again. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, this is a thing that maybe uh, if this is going out to potential clients, I'm always awake. I no, uh, yeah, napping. Oh, yeah, uh, guilt-free naps, maybe. Oh yes, probably the better ones. I love those.
0: <laughs> Third one, I'm terrible at.
1: Oh god, um, Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> oh, yes. My wife is very good at those. So that's that's our dynamic
0: again what a match (laughs) amazing you're so lucky so one day i'm going to
1: uh go to space hopefully that would be cool
0: i'm always chosen first when it comes to uh
1: see the answer should be like pictionary or one of those drawings game but, but again it's not uh it's probably like a like a Word like I love word scrambles, um, so probably that. I don't know why that's such a random thing.
0: I couldn't do without.
1: Oh, hot sauce! Oh my god, hot sauce. But probably actually Micheladas, which is like the you know the spicy beers. Oh Oh, yes, God,
0: God, amazing! Oh, I need one now. (laughs) Now (laughs) it's eleven in the morning, but. (laughs)
1: always Michelato clock yes
0: (laughs) and last one if I wouldn't be doing this for a living I would be
1: uh I really liked uh like law growing up so maybe something to do with law but you know realistically probably not probably like I don't know an accountant or something boring (laughs) I don't know
0: you like law and you chose art what a missed opportunity (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no,
1: it's really not. I would have been the worst. I would have. Been, do you know Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons? I would yes. have been like that. <laughs> like, yeah, I would have been that. That's the degree of lawyer that I would have been. So I think it's probably for the best.
0: Amazing, Karen. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Where can people find you?
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Martina. Um, I am on uh, Instagram, uh, just made by Karan, uh, and also my website, made by
0: Yeah. And you have an amazing shop on your website. So I'm going to add this also to our show notes so that people can find you. Thanks again for chatting with me today. It was so fun and also very insightful on your journey and all of the things that were important for you and also for your career. And I think this is going to be super insightful for our listeners. So I appreciate that, that openness.
1: Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Amazing, and thank you everybody for listening. See you on the next. See you on the next episode of Open Studio. Bye bye. See you. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Floor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor slash podcast where you can see previous episodes find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. 拜拜